0: Some say he's a technical whiz, some say he was born in Cornwall, while others say he's on a journey. It's The Journey, and here's your host, David Hackett. Another journey and today's guest is a life coach for both Christian men and women going through big changes and they guide them to identify life losses and process grief as love to move them from death to new life. This guest also helps them metabolic grief to release what is not needed and retain all the nutrients, learning and wisdom. Those who work with this person wants to love well growth of capacity to receive love, and experience oneness to begin again with joy and confidence. Today we welcome our guest, and I hope I get this right with the surname because i never asked beforehand. Lisa Michelle Zega. Zega, and
1: Saga. very close.
0: Zega, <laughs> Zega, well I think of Sagan without Zega without Zega,
1: Zega, Zega, Zega.
0: Welcome to the journey.
1: Thank so, you, thank you for having me.
0: So... I always like asking guests, everyone has a journey as they know, and everyone has a beginning in their journey. Where did your journey begin?
1: Well, that's a great question. And every time I'm asked some version of that question, it's always fascinating to me to see where my mind and heart goes. Um, And right now it's just going to the beginning, right? Like, I was born just like everyone else and and went through just a normal growing up or whatever. However each of us grows up, that's our normal, right? Cuz we don't know anything else. So um so I'm no different in that regard. And then I grew up in a culture where we don't really think about grief or loss uh particularly if it's not associated with the death of someone. So I didn't meet my biological father and maybe I'm thinking about this because I wrote about it the other day, but I've, I never met him and I didn't know that was a loss. I, I didn't know that was a loss to be grieved. I didn't know that was something to have metabolized or assimilated. I certainly didn't know that it would basically become a bedrock out of which I lived my life. and I didn't know what. Um, that I was carrying a sense of abandonment or rejection. And so just fast forward all the way to, I'm I'm 22. I'm getting married. At the time, I have become a follower of Jesus. And I think um, that I'm swept up in the idea of new beginnings, of brand new, of my history doesn't matter, and that it has no impact on me. And then um, I seek to just do all the things, follow all the rules as I understood them from the Bible, sought to be, you know, uh, an obedient, dutiful wife and then homeschooling mother. But I was also really stuck in a lot of the places of my loss. Like I was operating not as a, not in totality but i was off operating like a like an 8 year old like a toddler like a 13 year old like there were a lot of of these kinds of behaviors and i would say the primary thing that i've come to see now and i did not see it then but i could see the actions then i wanted my husband particularly to show me that i was lovable to show me that i was worthy to show me that like i wanted him to give me a sense of i'm worth it and i
0: was it a sense of validation
1: yes yes like and give me validation and also i took his criticism very harshly like it Like my whole sense of identity or who I was as a human being was wrapped up in how well I performed, how how well he authenticated that I was good. You know, um, that didn't create a lot of room for working things out or, you know, and then, um, I was married for 20, 20, 23 years. And eventually there were, there were a lot of things. I won't go into all that. Not that I'm not willing to, but just for the sake of introduction. And I, he had threatened to leave or divorce me for about 10 years before I finally moved out. And when I moved out, I was starting over at 45 years old. I, and now the identity that I had sought as Christian, wife, and mother, all three of those in one fell swoop were like gone. I was the one that moved out. My kids stopped talking to me. Um, and then that that began, a well, before I had moved out, about five or six years beforehand, I had gone through training to become a life coach. I had started investing in my personal development, maybe even longer before then. Regardless, when I moved out, I thought this invalidated everything I was working toward. And I ended up working with individuals in homeless situations. And that was really a huge blessing for me because I could see my interconnectedness and that the only thing that separated me was having a support of a place to go. Otherwise, I would have been without a home as well. And then, um, in trying, in in training, in being trained to be effective in working in that environment, it was like it it braided together with my training as a coach and personal development, and and then I began to develop my own views and ideas about what coaching would look like, and then my fiance died in a motorcycle accident. And that put me face to face with what we call grief. And in that experience, I was able to identify the harvesting of that experience was I was able to see how much of my grief had gone unwitnessed. So, of course, it had gone unattended. So, of course, it had gone unhealed. And that became an awakening for me and a life's journey. And that's why I focus on grief and loss today, because we've got a lot of unfinished living within us and we want to complete that so we can create the newness and and really harvest like what you read in that bio was like, yeah, what happens when we metabolize grief? We allow it to assimilate. We keep that which is helping and supporting and serving And we release what's no longer ours to carry. And that's what I, that's my journey and how I started.
0: It's just amazing because, like I always believe, and grief affects people differently in so many different ways. Like when I first experienced a death of a loved one, which was my great-nan, but I didn't experience her dying. But when it came to my grandfather, I was there when he died. Now, the sad thing is, and I often relate to certain things in my life when I interview people, when he died, I saw him six weeks previous. Now, I was with him when he got admitted into the hospital. And before he got admitted into hospital, he was just not, you know, not well. We knew he was not well. But he got into the ambulance and he was perky. He was cheerful. He was like the cheeky grandpapa I grew up with is like and I said you only going on and I'll say the American race for American listeners he felt like he was going on a vacation <laughs> and I said you really wanted to get away from Nan really and he like just smiled <laughs> and I saw I was effectively there when he went into the hospital and they just said he'd be home within a few days and I thought nothing of it and then I went back from where he was where he lived, and went back to where I lived, which was about two hundred and ninety odd miles away, <clears throat> and just randomly, I was with my ex partner at the time, and she was going to Canada to see her grandparents, and she said, "You should go to see your grandparents because my grandfather's still in hospital," and she said, "Go and you know it get paid for." Now, I'll say the British way of the money on you, but normally it would have cost me like £130 at the time to get to where they live because I went by train. The t- train ticket I bought that t- for that time to go there was £45, which was a blessing in its own right mind. So I booked that ticket and then I got there. And we thought nothing of it, Nan was happy to see me, and the next morning I had a phone call from the hospital. Yeah, can you come to the hospital? I said, I'm already in rail, you know, rail, North Wales. I'm already here. Well, can you come? This was like 6.30 in the morning. Can you come in with your Nan if it's possible? I said, yeah, why? What's happening? And they just, they just think you need to come in. The next day after me arriving there, my grandfather passed away but he knew I was there and that's what filled me with even though I was grieving he knew I was there and I felt like the destiny of me having that cheap train fare was meant to be if I left it a day longer or another train it would have been that more money and
1: it's the the story you just told David is such a beautiful both and story like one of the things I recognize and we do this in all of life is we are conditioned towards an either or right like so here you arrive and one you can see all these magical experiences like the whole universe working and aligning for you to get there to see him Mm. and then the idea that you're right there When the hospital calls, you're able to get you. You've already traveled. You're you're available to get there that day to bring your nan. And the both and of grief and love, like you you love him, you mourn him, you miss him, right? Mm. And this this beautiful opening of all that was provided for you to see him, and one doesn't cancel the other out, like. I think one of the things I love about, however you would say it, surrendering to grief, being with grief, embracing grief, and there's, it, it opens our heart to more pain. I mean, I'm not, like, it actually opens our heart to more pain and it opens our heart to more joy, more love, more, like a, a wider embrace, of our lives, of ourselves, of our people. And that's what you illustrated in that, like, and to be able to go back and look at the way everything aligned for you to get there.
0: Yeah. And for him to know. Yeah, because he wasn't awake when I did get to the hospital. He was not even a coma. He was just asleep. So that's what I, and... It was just a little thing I was doing, which was tickling his feet and he knew I was there because he. <laughs> so it's that little thing. So it's yeah. so one of the questions you've highlighted, and I will use some of the questions that have been highlighted. How is grief love? Because obviously people will say grief is grief and grief, nothing now is in between.
1: You know, I've thought about this a lot because I use that phrase, "Grief is love," and it could be said, "Grief is grief and love is love." And there's an alchemy that happens. Oh my gosh, this is this is coming to me um, in a new way. So we like let's imagine a bowl of grief, right? There's a bowl of grief, and when that Bowl of grief does not receive love, it stagnates, it, it stinks, it, it gets stuck, there's a film on top, All, everything you can imagine with um with water that goes stagnant, right? It it becomes unhealthy. When we allow our grief to receive love it grows into more love and it actually alchemizes, like it becomes something new so that it actually feeds us with a greater capacity to give love and to receive love. Because I want you to think about this, when grief, it's, <laughs> it's just crazy how this is really coming to me more clearly in real time. If you think of stagnated grief, like this is what you're carrying as a stuck energy in your body, then it lives in a way like fear, like anxiety, like self-protection. And 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 you're holding it afraid actually to embrace love, maybe afraid that it means that you're not honoring what was lost. Maybe it's a a form of self-protection, but it's counterintuitive because if I, now that stagnation is living in my body and keeping me isolated and alone in certain ways, right? It might even be someone's like, well, I'm not alone. I'm out with all my people, but they don't really know me or they don't know the sadness that I'm carrying or I keep my tears to myself. And so then it just shows up in our body in other ailments of our body because our body's holding it. But if I open that bowl of grief and let love pour in, then not only does something happen to that grief and now it moves and brings new life, but the love that I poured in expands beyond the love that I originally gave. Like if you think of our muscle, right? I go to the gym. I I exert, I'm willfully allowing um, this muscle to be stressed. I'm attuned to it. It breaks down and it comes back greater than its original form. Mm. That's that's how I would say grief is love. Yeah,
0: so it goes on to saying, um, why does this matter? Because some people think it doesn't matter. And they, and then that's where they come up. That's where they, as you said, about stagnant.
1: Yes. You know, one of the things I'll, I'll use to answer that, because I'm thinking about doing this for my community, there are, we cannot watch a movie or a television show without seeing some version of this. So there's a popular series out right now, Yellowstone. Um, there's another popular Netflix series called firefly lane there's another one dead to me but okay so these are the top three that have just come to mind when you look at the characters in these stories it's very clear why it matters because what happens is and i was already explaining it with the stagnation now i can't be fully with the people that i'm with And what I haven't processed gets rolled on to the generation after me. And, and effectually what ends up happening is we carry a pain that's not ours to carry because it was visited onto us from another, from another generation. And, and it shows up as harmful in our bodies. Like there are so many autoimmune diseases And we we've had a mistake in culture. And I think this is um, being addressed now in more holistic medicine. But we've really thought we could divorce the mind and the body, we could compartmentalize things. And yet our body carries all of it. And so when it's not metabolized, it shows up in our in our bodies. It shows up in our relationship to ourselves. It clogs our heart pathway to ourselves, to one another, the compassion that we need to heal our communities and our world. It's visited in the soil of the earth. Like, it's a global impact. I believe that we have a communal responsibility
0: mm, to true. allow it,
1: our grief to receive love. Yeah.
0: It is a good feeling to have that community. Feel with well because that's where you can then turn to friends and relate to other people.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So, um, how does unmetabolized grief impact, and it goes into saying the world is community relationships?
1: All the things I just said. I mean, unmetabolized grief, like it, you know one area that I'm gonna say it. I'm thinking of this from Firefly Lane, and I, I don't know why I can't think of the one of the main characters right now, but she is raised uh, by, never meets her biological dad. Her mom um, struggles with drug addiction her whole life. She basically needs to raise herself and figure it out, right? The story progresses, and at some point, her mom comes to her having owned the weight of what of what her um, inaction as a parent caused and what her actions caused. And the main character, you would think it's like she's finally getting the recognition from mom that she needs, but she doesn't have the capacity to receive it because she hasn't done her own inner work. It's like I was talking to one of my sons. I made a lot of mistakes as a parent, David. I made a lot of mistakes. And I'm watching my grown son go through some of his um, process that where the grief is directly related to things that I did and did not do for him, with him, ways that he was not acknowledged as a... A separate, beautiful being, worthy to be witnessed, seen, loved, accepted, all the things. And if I could go through the process to make the effects of his childhood better, I would do that. But I actually, now he has inherited what he's got. And the only one who can honor him and honor his grief truly is him. And what ends up happening when we're not willing to go there for whatever reason, it feels scary. We tell ourselves that it doesn't matter. Leave the past with the past. None of this has an impact on my present life. Um, What ends up happening, I just lost my That 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 ignored place, child that needs love within is like fighting for our attention. Only we can go back and do the work to honor those orphaned parts within us. Hmm. Oh, this is what I was trying to say. And when we don't, we end up in some way, shape or form prostituting ourselves to other people and asking them to give us what we're not willing to give ourselves. You give me the raise that I deserve. I'm not going to ask for it. You acknowledge all that I do for you. I'm not going to own my own value. You treat me as worthy you, like and and we don't even recognize that that that's the part of us that's still very childlike that's not given or, or not been able to receive the love. We're not reparenting ourselves. So we're still acting like a child who's out there looking for others to be the one to tell us, I'm good, I'm lovable, I'm accepted, I'm worthy.
0: Yeah.
1: We're looking for others to make us happy and it's not their job and they're not able to do it. And even when they're working their ass off to make us happy, we don't have the capacity to receive it until we recognize what I needed that I didn't get, until we give our pain the honor that it deserves so that it can metabolize, so that it can assimilate, so that it can get the love in there so that to become more love. Mm.
0: And so to go into the future, do you think this will get better or do you think it will stay the same?
1: You know, I think that like in every single area of life, there are, we we get more information. We, we have more accessible to us. Like we understand more about our physical bodies, right? There are people that avail themselves to that. And for some reason, there are people that don't. There are, and so I think, the way that it's going to get better is for those of us who decide i'm going to go through this journey so that i can love well and receive love well so that we can create communities of compassion of empathy like it's amazing how much one person can change the trajectory for so many so Overall, I'm going to answer with, yes, yes, it's going to get better and no one can do it for us, but, but as we do it for ourselves, we make it more accessible to others because no one climbs out from under a heap of condemnation to be a nice guy, Mm. right? When you feel like others are treating you like icky, then we tend to act icky, especially if it's validating where we feel icky on the inside. But then when I receive compassion, a morsel of love and kindness, and especially at the times I know I don't deserve it. I'm thinking of Anne of Green Gables, one of my all-time favorite. And there's like this, this teacher, and she's just hard, and she's mean, and she's... You know, she's uh, not objective in her treatment of like Anne. Anne Ann treats her with all this love. And, and then as the movie unfolds, you see this lady with a tight bun on her head, like her hair lets <laughs> down and she's loosening up and she's enjoying a bite of a yummy red apple. And she didn't choose the journey for herself. Someone else's compassion opened her heart. So as we choose the journey for ourselves we never know how many hearts we're allowing to break open.
0: Mm. So to last of all what would you say to people watching listening to this now to go forward
1: I would say what you most desire whether you want an intimate relationship with your partner whether you wanna feel self-confident at work, whether it requires us to go the places that we least want to go. And that's where all the magic of the transformation for the things we want that we don't yet have gets to happen. And it is scary. It is scary, so the fear doesn't go away, but we find that we are greater than our fear. So like every epic tale you've ever watched, right? Like when Frodo and Sam go in Lord of the Rings, they don't wanna go. And then we all root for them and we look at who they become. And so, and just like Frodo and Sam, we don't need to have it all figured out. They weren't like superheroes. They were just people trying to do the the hobbits, you know, trying to do uh, what was next. And we all celebrate them. And so I would say, do the next thing that most makes sense to you to care for your wounded heart.
0: That's amazing. And if people want to get in contact with you, I will be put in, in a description. But how can people get in contact with you?
1: So, uh, I am on Facebook, Instagram, I'm Lisa Zega, or Lisa Michelle at Legit You, but I will say in my Facebook group i which is legit you in Facebook, I just do a lot to serve my community and to share things, and we'll be opening up more things in that way, so that's a great just starter place to get more acquainted
0: mm-hmm. uh, with me but thank you for sharing your journey with us today
1: thank you for having me it was really delightful to be with you david
0: no way. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.